my loyal subjects. I think it's time for a race. But first, you're going to have to collect the six silver keys scattered around the Magic Kingdom because Goofy's an idiot and he always leaves them behind. <laughs> oh, wait, I think I've turboed into the wrong game again. Jeez. Oh, I wasn't supposed to mention that pot, was I? Well, great. <laughs> I think Turbo turboed his way into this podcast. Yeah, jeez. That was really funny. Thank you. <laughs> I could tell by the... Goofy, you, an idiot. <laughs> that was a little nod to uh, Adventures in the Magic Kingdom, which is an NES game. That, you know, is the, the first thing I could think of when it came to video games and theme parks. Because you, it was made by Capcom. You had to go around Magic Kingdom and there were levels based on different rides. And when you beat the levels, you got a silver key. Uh, you could go to Pirates of the Caribbean, the Haunted Mansion, uh, Big Thunder Mountain, Space Mountain, um, Autopia. I don't remember what the sixth one was. I think so, I stumbled over the game on a uh, uh, emulator one time. I didn't play much of it, but did you actually play it when it was uh, out? Yeah, I think, but uh, on a friend's NES. I didn't actually have an NES growing up. I okay. My first console, proper console, was a Nintendo 64, but later... I was able to get a Super Nintendo, and technically Super Nintendo was the first console I really got to play. Me so, too. Me yeah, too. it's a good one. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Animusics. Um, if you haven't guessed by this whole discussion, we are discussing Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, I am your host, Kayla. I'm joined by my other co-host, or, I mean, you're my only co-host, uh, David. Hey, everyone. And it is really me, and not not King Candy. <laughs> And uh, we have a returning guest, um, uh, returning from uh, Tarzan, Sandy Stoltz. <laughs> Hello. It's good to be back. It's good to have you back. This is actually, I think, the first time we've managed to record together in person. Yeah. First one we did was during COVID, so everything was uh, at a distance. Yeah. So it's nice to be in the same room. It's good. Yeah. We, we, uh, we were back in town. We're all back together. We're all vaccinated, and we're ready to get this get this going. Um and we are here to discuss. Now, what, what year are we in now, Kayla? This is 2012? This is 2012. Ah. Uh, the film was released on November 2nd, 2012. That's wow. right. God, it feels so long ago. Um, actually, yeah. actually, the journey for Wreck-It Ralph begins in the late 1980s. Let's not forget that Tron came out in 1983. And they were already developing um, a animated action adventure set inside uh, video games, uh, where the idea, similar for Wreck-It Ralph, is that the video game hero wanted something more than his monotonous, repetitive life. Uh, this eventually became High Score, and then Joe Jump, and then eventually Reboot Ralph. But before we get into Re- Reboot Ralph? Yes. That, <laughs> that was in the mid-20s when that... Or, that was in the mid-2000s when that came about, so... That's probably good they avoided that because there was a pretty prominent game-themed animated series around the time. You know, do you all remember Reboot? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I remember Reboot. That was uh, actually a pretty decent show. Yeah, it was. I remember it had, a, it had good lore, good characters. Yeah, good, good voice acting. Good voice acting. Pretty, you know, it was pretty sophisticated for, uh, like, late 90s, mid-90s? Late 90s. Uh, CGI. Fully yeah. CGI cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. So, the... Um, the film idea just kept getting turned down because there was always something missing or um, the central character was missing something that they couldn't figure out. Uh, we're in the time of Lassiter and he's like going through projects and he uncovers this one in 2008 
and decided to approach, strangely enough, uh, veteran television director Rich Moore. So, interesting thing about Rich Moore. He is a CalArts grad, so he actually worked with a lot of these um, Disney individuals, like, that go on to do other things. Uh, or didn't work with them. Uh, Rich Moore was a call. Let me rephrase that. Rich Moore was a CalArts grad, so he actually worked with a lot of these Disney animators that are currently animating right now. But instead, he went to go work on Simpsons and Futurama. Uh, but uh, so when he was approached with the idea, he was already a video game fan. Uh, would spend a lot of times at the arcades when he was living in Oxnard. However, he when he was approached with the idea, he's like. I don't think my style is going to work with the whole Disney idea of um, animated princess and, you know, cutesy animal caped first. And last year said, no, that's exactly what I want, though. I don't want that Disney cutesy stuff. I want that. I want your style. Um, and I am allowing you free reign to develop any style you feel fits the project. And he was like, done. <laughs> so... Uh, it's interesting reading this because, uh, I'm going a little bit into my personal history, but, uh, just because the personal history does connect with this history. Mm. Um, I, how I first learned about this film was when I was in film school and there was a, uh, a seminar or workshop, um, where they're saying, uh, see the behind the scenes of the upcoming movie Wrecker Ralph. Never heard of it before. And I was just like, oh, it's a Disney movie. I didn't know uh, they were working on a Disney animated film. Okay, let's see what it's about. And the director, Rich Moore, was there along with some other producers. And they're talking about the behind the scenes and how he came up with the idea or, or how he came to work on the project and all that and where they came up with some of the ideas. So a lot of what I remember he said cross-correlates with what uh, the history that I looked up. And I was like, yeah, that's correct. It, this is... Everything he said was true, um, of course, because he was there. Uh, nice guy. I was it, I was glad to have met him. But the way he described the film, I was like, this sounds so cool. And it got me really excited to see it. Um, but funny enough, he actually brought in um, Simpsons director uh, Jim Reardon, as well as Phil Johnston, who would actually bring in uh, a former uh, classmate of his named uh, Jennifer Lee. If you guys don't know, she's the one who's going to be ending up writing the screenplay and co-directing Frozen. Mm, and also uh, okay. will become the chief creative officer of Disney, so. <laughs> uh, she actually ended up co-writing the screenplay for uh, with Johnston. Um, and the idea that they wanted to continue with, and this was the main one, what if a video game character went against its programming? That was the main through line. Originally, it was going to be about Felix, and basically, that's why it's Fix-It Felix Jr., because uh, it was going to be, like, him going against his dad and all that, um, but then, as they're developing Ralph, they're like, he's much more interesting. He's more of an interesting character, and they liked more the idea of, well, what if it's someone doesn't want to be a villain anymore, and this is how we get into Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> um Interestingly enough, uh, Felix was supposed to have more of a bigger role. Uh, there was actually going to be a second act where he would join them on the journey, and then it would be a trio between him and 
uh, Vanellope and Ralph. Um, another thing, too, was there's actually going to be an extra video game. So, you know how you, uh, well, we'll act. You told me earlier, David, yes. that when you saw the trailers for this, you expected them to do a lot more video game hopping, correct? Yeah, I thought they were going to go to a lot of different game worlds. Uh, that was my initial impression when I saw the trailers back uh, almost 10 years ago at this point. Yeah. Well, that actually was the intention. They were going to do more video game hopping. And actually, one of the video games they were planning to go into was this one called Extreme Easy Living 2. <laughs> <laughs> where it's just a, a place with no good guys, no bad guys. It's just guys, chicks, beer, and sharks and volleyball. <laughs> it's a kind of a leisure suit Larry meets SimCity or SimSim. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the Sim, Sims. It's the Sims combined with how it was described as Sims combined with Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> That's a little more hedonistic. Uh, and actually there's a scene where he goes to visit it after he's hurt Vanellope's feelings. But then they realize, how would this video game work in a arcade? It's not exactly an arcade game. It's That's a good point. And one idea is like, well, what if it was on Litwick's computer? But then that goes into a whole other can of worms. And We're not at Ralph Breaks the Internet. No. Yet, so. uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and they felt it was a bit too convoluted. Um, but uh, so I got some quotes from Rich Moore. Uh, uh, where he, the reason why he was so interested in uh, Ralph is, I always felt, felt sorry for Donkey Kong, you know? <laughs> I always thought that Mario was kind of the bad guy. Because if you knew about the game, there was supposed to be a backstory where Mario was teasing the ape, and the ape stole his girlfriend. And this was kind of karma for Mario, you know? <laughs> well, you shouldn't have teased the ape. It's just King Kong. Mm-hmm. Short, yeah. short King Kong. Don't, don't tease the ape, he'll steal your girlfriend and he'll fall off a building. <laughs> Which, it's so amazing that, that that game spawned its own thing when really, when you look at it, it's just King Kong. Yeah. More cartoony. So, <clears throat> they wanted to make sure this video game world felt as authentic as possible. So they knew that the main characters had to be original. But to keep the authenticity, that's where the idea would be to bring in other video game characters. I'm not going to lie. When going through this research and going through a bunch of articles, everything was about, how did you come up with the, choose these video game characters? It was all about that, like going through, getting, going through Nintendo and all that um, to get all these infamous characters in the game. And, uh... Interestingly enough, I actually thought that uh, Nintendo wouldn't allow Mario. I thought that's why they couldn't get him in the movie. But uh, they told him, actually, if you can find a scene that is appropriate to have Mario, we'll let you have it. But it just felt forced. So it never happened. But no, like You have to have him appear like Christ to the other characters. <laughs> They were, well, what 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 does Nintendo qualify as being an appropriate scene for Mario? And that's where you know. Well, yeah, he thought, comes down from the mountain. <laughs> they, it's they, me, the savior. <laughs> exactly. Well, they thought uh, the use of Bowser in um, the uh, AA Bad Guys Anonymous <laughs> meeting was very fitting, and they really liked that. So, actually, Rich said. 
Um, I, I say it like I'm afraid. Uh, Rich Moore actually said, when I got word that Nintendo gave the okay for Bowser, the movie changed for me. It was like hearing that Robert De Niro was going to be in the film. A lot of animators <laughs> are like, oh my God. That's going to be a dream, honestly, right? Like, oh my gosh, we get to animate Bowser. <laughs> Bowser. <laughs> um, also, for the world of Sugar Rush... They actually attended ISM uh, uh, Cologne. I think that's how it's pronounced, but it's the world's leading trade fair for connection, uh, confectionery and snacks. And they also went, and they also went to a C's candy factory in LA to research and study hundreds and difference of like chocolate products to inspire those in the film. Sounds like a fun job. Yeah, some of these are a lot of really cool. Um, it sure beats going to look at parking lots and cars. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Uh, they also created a new uh, camera capture system for animation, so it feels like the camera is moving with the scene. So if you, like, and I, I noticed this too, it feels very, um, it, like it's moving in a 360 at times, mm -hmm. um, or uh, it feels like there's a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, not long shots, I'm trying to think, uh, I keep, I forget the term. But it feels like the it's the camera's on a crane. Crane shots. Yeah, it feels like it's a crane shot. So, which which is actually kind of cool to. Uh, it it kind of works in this. It gives an over-encompassing feeling with the video game world. But anyway, uh, so as I mentioned, it was released November second, two thousand twelve. The budget was one hundred sixty-five million. It did very well. It made 189 um, million in North America and 281.8 million in other countries, totaling to about 471 million dollars. Hmm. Uh, it got generally favorable reviews. Uh, the words that came up a lot was nostalgic, colorful, clever. Um, it it was it was the idea that it felt nostalgic and new at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's the history of uh, Wreck It Ralph. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, it, it, it's not extensive, um, but because I'm not going to lie, most of the focus with these articles are like, did you see all these video game characters he got? <laughs> it is still pretty impressive who they got. And I, it's funny because <clears throat> here we are, um, not too far removed from the reveal that, um, when we're recording is that, uh, Sora is the final fighter of Kingdom Hearts, or not Kingdom Hearts, Sora of Kingdom yes. Hearts is the final fighter of Super Smash Brothers. So it's almost like the, it's now turned around. What is it going to take to get this Disney character, <laughs> this Square Enix slash Disney character into a Nintendo game when it was like, what is it going to take to get Mario into this Disney movie? Yeah. So it's kind of like a weird full circle in a strange way, except they seem to be way more consistent about what they, that no Disney characters just only the final uh, the kingdom hearts characters can be included in anything because uh you know remember when the gang's all here mickey starfruit Raft, <laughs> my favorite characters <laughs> oh my god the, the cheap characters the, the yeah. gang's all here um so, uh so uh What's your guys' history with Wrecker Ralph? I can't, I touched upon mine. I learned about it from the director himself. Um, and then I ended up going to see it. I really liked the film. Uh, I watched it a few more times after that. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was really good. It, uh, I'm glad to have seen it. I'm glad I met the director of it. So That's really exciting, honestly. 
Um, mine, I was interested in it from the beginning just because of the premise of it being about video games. And I remember specifically when I went to see it, I saw it with um, my friends Matt and Jeff. Uh, we went and saw it around, right around when it came out um, at a, an old theater in, in Whittier. Yeah, so we went and I, I just remember having a really overall good experience at the theater. They did too. We were talking about all the stuff that happened in it. It was just, it's just a good time. It was just a good time overall. Um, and then after that, well, I mean, I just, I think that was the, I think I only saw it the one time, but I, like a few of these movies that I've only seen once, it, it stuck with me. I remember a lot of it pretty vividly. I think I remember walking out and going like, this is a really tightly written and well-paced movie, uh, for an animated film. It did everything I wanted it to do. Um, and I might've, in my mind, I was like, I was surprised it didn't do more game hopping, but I think for the games that they did do and looking back at it now, I think it was great. And then rewatching it again recently, I, I enjoyed it even more than the first time. So um, it's not a huge personal history, but I would definitely hold Wreck-It Ralph up there as one of my favorites from this era, from this era of Disney movies. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I have kind of a weird introduction to the movie because right now as we're recording this, I pretty much just returned to LA a couple weeks ago. And right when I moved to LA originally, it was in 2012, right when they released Wreck-It Ralph. And I remember knowing nothing about it. I hadn't heard anything. I saw a poster and it was just that pixelated picture of Ralph's face had no idea it was a Disney thing, uh, something about a movie. I was, my hands were so full from moving and getting jobs and, you know, figuring everything out that I was kind of all over the map. So I wasn't really thinking about any, uh, watching any films. Uh, also, I was not a huge fan of any of the Disney films that came out in that era. I mean, I think Bolt came out before it mm-hmm. and like, uh, uh, the dreaded, Chicken Little, and and there, there was just a bunch of movies that I I didn't care about Disney CG. Pixar was good. Disney animation was kind of low level at that time, at least as far as what I'd seen. So I had no interest in seeing this movie. Uh, and then I think my sister, she was like, "Hey, have you heard of that movie Wreck It Ralph?" And I'm like, "I don't think so." And she said, "Oh, it's a movie about a it's like a video game uh, character." She said a couple of the actors involved. I was like, "Oh, that sounds kind of." interesting so i remember uh going to a santa Ana theater and seeing it and i kind of missed the beginning like the first five minutes of it but i really really liked it and uh i think it kind of put a good a good vibe for my beginning of being in la Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a nice like transition because it's a it's a you know movie about outsiders kind of kind of trying to find their home mm-hmm. and i felt very like oh i related to this movie a lot more than i thought i would <laughs> uh yeah it was uh i'll probably come up with more later but i just think it was a good experience and way better than i thought it would be because i had no idea and watching it again i i'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's my favorite disney film of that era like i think it's better than frozen i think it's better than Tangled. I know a lot of people disagree with me on that, but it was just one of the most original Disney films of that time. I'd never seen anything like it. And there all kinds of things could have gone wrong trying to make a Toy Story video game. 
movie. <laughs> yeah. Because it could have gone horribly. It could have been cheap. It could have been a total ripoff. But it really had its own identity. It was great. I think that's the main thing about it, too, is like uh, one of the things I can see right out the gate is it does. It could have just been the story of Donkey Kong trying to be. But no, Wreck-It Ralph is just, Ralph and Felix are just enough of an homage to those old arcade cabinets. Like you can just see enough of Donkey Kong in there that you kind of piece it together. But it's not, but it's also kind of enough of its own thing that it's not a parody so much it is like a, like a, like a, an homage, a tribute? I don't yeah, know. It really does feel like a tribute because the characters, like you said, are different enough. Like, even though Fix-It Felix is based around a Mario-type character, he feels like very much his own thing. And, uh, I mean, the real question we're all asking at the end of the day is, how did Zangief lose his Speedo? <laughs> That's the main reason I'm here, is to find am, out how that happened. Yeah, I don't... In do the we, back of the bar. Do we want to know? <laughs> do we Probably know? not. How, how did they end I'm, up in a crate in Tapper's closet? You know, I'm very concerned for. <laughs> I'm a little concerned for Zangief in general because I never. I don't. I mean, I don't know a lot about Street Fighter lore, but I never saw Zangief as a. Villain. No, I, I remember thinking that he was the only one in their little AA meeting that wasn't technically a villain. He was just another character you could pick in the lineup of Street Fighter. Like M Bison makes sense. He's the final boss. Exactly. But 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 Zangief. I, if I was going to put any two Street Fighter characters there, it would be M. Bison and, like, Vega. Balrog, like, Vega, those last four bosses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, another thing that's really nice about uh, Wreck-It Ralph in general is it's one of the most correct, it, it correctly used nostalgia to drive a yes. story. And there's not very many movies that do that anymore. And it was also the first time Disney, I think, decided to use nostalgia to drive a, a film. At least deliberately, right? Yeah. Like, as opposed to, like, I, something that felt like a parody? Well, yeah. I, th- I think, because um, I'm trying to think if there's any... Uh, I would I would argue that Enchanted yeah, sure, was that, kind of a movie like that, because it's playing off the tropes of Disney films themselves. Yeah, and it's you're right. That, of, would, that would be kind of the first of that era to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Enchanted is not a fully animated film, and it's part of our Animusings Plus. This is, like, the... F- Probably one of the first times a movie like this has really leaned into it in a way that's loving and not like critical of itself. And not a detriment to the story. Yeah. Not having it distract, but have it it actually have a reason to be. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Because it's interesting because as I mentioned, Richmore said, I wanted the characters, our main characters to be original. The focus is original characters and these... uh, the video game characters that are pre-existing, just, it, it's world building. It's yeah. just to... Shows you where you are. Yeah. And this is one of the few times also, it uses nostalgia, but still has like, I don't want to say timeless, but I feel like you could watch this film at any point and not be like, oh, this is dated. It yeah. never feels Unlike dated. The sequel. <laughs> yeah, that's another that's another kettle of fish. We'll exactly. get into later. Um, can I just I'll just say though, like since we're on the topic of the sort of the surrounding, let's, should we talk about the world before we talk about? Because like, yeah, I don't think I probably we're not going to break it down scene by scene, but there's definitely beats I want to talk about in this movie. Um, so so the idea is um, it's in all the characters in the arcade. 
do come to life, like when the lights turn off, very a la Toy Story. Yeah, but, lit, lit Wax Arcade. Yeah, but they um, there's one like Grand Central Station, and um, it's the power strip. Yes, the, power, yeah. the surge protector yeah. that all the games are plugged into. Which is so clever. And it, what a yeah. great way to be like, oh yeah, this is how we can visit each other in different games. You just can't stay there. Um, or you just can't stay there. Can't die in the game. Yeah, it's you, not yours. Exactly. If you die <laughs> in your game, you're fine. You'll, you'll come respawn. Back to, you'll respawn. Yeah. But if you die in a game, as Sonic says, <laughs> yeah. I will say that for the fact part. for the fact that Nintendo is very much like if you can find an appropriate place for Mario, you can do it. But then they chose Bowser. Sega was probably just like carte blanche. Sega and Capcom were like, here, just use our characters. Yeah, just like, have fun. You have Street Fighter. You have um, uh, you have. And then Sega, of course, you not only do you have Sonic and, and uh, Robotnik show up at different points, and Sonic actually does a Sonic says <laughs> I know. as a PSA. <laughs> That's what cracked me up. I'm like, it's, it's very much like, you know, if it was, it's Roger Craig Smith doing Sonic, and he does a great job because he's the you know official voice of Sonic now. But could you imagine if it had been Jaleel White? Like, that's fun. <laughs> if you die outside your game, that's no good. Yeah, you know? just like, make sure you stop by my chili dog stop over <laughs> on the side before you head out to your game. <laughs> that probably I, I, wasn't his voice. No, that's fine. It's, 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 that's way past cool. <laughs> um, but... Um, I just I just think it's neat because the, like, they let they let that do the world building and then like uh, in terms of Sega characters like it's not just them there's like there's this axe wielding zombie from House of the Dead as one of the villains <laughs> yeah, that's a good at the AA you know I'm a, uh, there's another deep cut uh, at that that villain meeting they have the final boss of Altered Beast oh people look at Sega game people look at that purple rhino and they're like oh that's just a random villain mm-hmm. no that's the last boss of altered beast for some reason this this video game about you know a guy coming back from the dead dead and working for zeus Rise the, from the, your grave. the final boss is somehow a purple rhinoceros mm-hmm. so that's a deep cut i don't know yeah. a lot of people would get that one that was really cool and then there's like there's enough there's like some that are just kind of generic but you can tell like what they're not into like there's a ninja there and you look at him like he looks like someone out of mortal Kombat, which would make sense in an arcade game was Altered Beast an arcade game? Yeah, yeah, it started okay. as an arcade. So here's a question: since these are all arcade versions of these characters, it makes sense for some of them to be there. But like Bowser feels a little out of place because again, he's a more of a home console. He's just there to say, "Remember, <laughs> remember that I exist." You're happy to see me because you know me. But also, like, I mean, if Donkey Kong was there, that makes sense too because you know Donkey Kong was an original arcade game. Yes. But like. The fact that Sonic and and Robotnik are there also makes me wonder: is there is there like somewhere attached to the power strip? Is this one of those arcades that has like you know how sometimes now arcades will just have home consoles set up for you to play as in the well back, as they'll have yeah the they'll be like oh you can play like like a waiting room of a dentist office in some place like oh you can play old Sega Genesis or <laughs> Super Nintendo games here, which would explain why Bowser and but then again. Maybe Sonic, maybe there's a copy, there's a Dreamcast. There was a Nickel Nickel arcade there I went to <laughs> yeah. one time that had a Dreamcast and it had Sonic Adventure. That would explain why new Sonic and new Robotnik are there. Because they, they have their new and designs. They, and, and it worked at Nickel Nickel. Yeah, it did. That's it. amazing. It's crazy, right? <laughs> Usually everything is broken. I played uh, I played that and I played uh, at Nickel Nickel. I also played, uh, oh my gosh, what's that game? Primal, uh, Pri- Primal Fury? Primal Wars? Yeah. The one where it's the fighting game, but you're like a bunch of 
primordial animals like yeah, dinosaurs dinosaurs and stuff. kicking each other around. yeah that was interesting anyway but i do i do have to say that the world building is probably some of the most original and well conceived yeah yeah where it's it's got really grounded rules could have been all over the place nebulous concepts that didn't really have a payoff yeah because they weren't grounded enough but everything that happens later in the story makes sense yeah with all the you know talk of uh glitches how they behave the reasons for certain characters actions Mm -hmm. to take you know Mm -hmm. vanellope out of the game and all that or even like the way that people cryptically say you're not going turbo are you and i love that we know we hear that term a few times before we even learn what it means and the great part is how it's introduced is we have um, uh, a new character. It's a Sergeant Calhoun. Who her game is fairly new, so it's like, oh yeah, you were just your game just came out. This happened before this. I'm like, yes, that's a great way to talk about something like, oh, what's Turbo? I've never heard of that. Before. Yeah, you can actually explain it to the audience and have it not be, you know, but, stupid. <laughs> by the way, the the three original games feel are very well developed and very believable. Like I see. I can absolutely believe Fix-It Felix Jr. And even calling it Jr. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just adds to that whole like 80s um, arcade game. And then same with Sugar Rush. I can absolutely see that as I, a driving game. I always thought I, it was shocking that they never made an arcade cabinet for Sugar Rush. Yeah. Technically, it's Mario Kart. You yeah. know, it, it kind of embodies all that same stuff. But at Disneyland, they did have a couple Fix-It Felix cabinets. That was fun. Very cool. You could sit there and play the game. And, uh, yeah, it was cool. And then I absolutely can see um, it was a a Hero's Duty, which I know it's supposed to be based off Call of Duty, but it still fits that. um, It's a shooter game. It's basically a... Rail shooter where you just got to get to the top. Yep. And it, and it is... A, you're right. It is a rail shooter. It's like... It's kind of... It's like Call of Duty, but also I'd say it's a little more like Time Splitters or... Um, mm-hmm. Or the, even... The fact that you actually see the on-rails. Yeah. Like, like on a track and it's like a character in the game. Yeah. It's very reminiscent. Again, I know I mentioned this before. It's very around the House of the Dead. Um, which is cool because again, that's the kind of video games are shooter games you get in arcades, games like that that are on rails. I also yeah. love the fact that um, with the, this one of the storylines that could have happened is like, oh, it, they could have gone the Toy Story ro- route and been like, oh, there's this new game and it's now more popular and taking up all our attention from the old games. But it didn't go that route. No, and yeah. I'm very happy for it. It's just like, no, it's just a new game. This is just how the nature of the beast. Yeah, um, we get new people coming to the arcade all the time, but and we everybody just gathers at the uh, either ba- in the power strip in the sta- uh, game central station, or sometimes they knock back a few at tappers. You know, like <laughs> they do a great job in grounding everything in that in that world building, mm-hmm. and then making the characters have really simple direction mm-hmm. and, and like. It's very clear right from the get-go because of the nice voiceover from John C. Riley. what the problem is that this character has. I'm a villain. It stinks being a villain. I don't like being in this situation. And what <laughs> I don't it's know. It's not his fault. He was programmed. The commentary it. on like even a political nature of, of being in a society where it's almost like a communism, where it's like, here's your role. This is what you do. Yeah. This is your job. 
And it's it's funny because you know, especially in the older games where you got Fix It Felix, one of the oldest ones in the arcade, and how uh, everybody's role is so clearly defined. Mm-hmm. Of here's the good guy, here's the bad guy. But the funny thing is, I think the real villains are kind of the people who live in the town who kind of propagate oh, the roles. Yeah. They're like, hey, we're the middlemen. We're the only ones who are the middle. They're kind of like the middle class. Yeah. And they're telling, you know, we know who the villain is and we know who the hero is. So as long as we worship the hero and don't have to be the villain ourselves, as long as we're in that status quo, I don't know if it meant to be philosophically that that way, but what I... Kind of found. No, I'm with you, and I think one of the truly detestable characters actually early on is Gene. Gene is the Gene villain of the movie. Is, as far as I'm concerned, his little eight bit martini. I love the <laughs> fact that he says, "I don't know what's your importance in the game, Gene." And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what yeah. do you do? You're literally there to be rescued, and and your whole and like <laughs> I, these people, these ni- these nice landers, as they're called, because they live in this this apartment. Yeah. Everybody knows that they're just programmed with these backstories. It's not the way it really is, but they're like. Also, I love the smart thing because they only have, like, two movements that their natural movements are very jerky because it's, like, clearly they weren't animated to they have less. Movement. They have less frames than Ralph and Felix. Like, is that a commentary on two-dimensional people? <laughs> or people who just kind of go with the flow and don't nah. try to change anything? But That's there, there is, like, um, I, I think it's also commentary, too, of, like, how, like, your job. And then there's usually a stereotype that comes with your job. Let's yeah. be honest here. Um, whatever it may be, like it, this could come with like uh, blue collar versus um, white collar class jobs. This could also be like, oh, yeah. you work as a um, com- like a computer engineer, and now we- people see you as like this nerdy guy with glasses. There's oh, there's always something connected, which is a theme to a lot of old video games. Mm-hmm. Tappers. Uh, I mean, Mario was a plumber. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the original yeah. Mario Bros, you were playing as two plumbers fighting a bunch of things in the sewer. So. Yeah. So there was a weird kind of interest, maybe because it was just a simple thing to kind of program, but the idea of having these kind of construction jobs and the blue yeah. collar, and here I am, you know, serving drinks. That's the game. Uh huh. So they do have a lot of uh, that commented on Pro- programming limitations and pixel and uh co- limited color palettes contributed to a lot of these designs so uh, i just and again i love some of the that's the like one of the f- the two games that get visited that are like actually established games are pac-man at the beginning although you don't know it because they're actually just in the place where the ghosts normally live in the center of the pac maze that's where they do their aa meeting the villains anonymous <laughs> yeah and then uh tapper they like tapper is a real game so and again you know what i, I appreciate too is that um much like the Nice Landers, Tapper only has so many like jerky frames of animation too when he moves. There's yeah. so many great choices here about helping to kind of differentiate the video games from each other. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, I feel bad for Qbert and his friends who were. There is a lot of weird commentary on homelessness. Yeah. In the show, which almost seems like an accident. How many times? It, there's like three homeless jokes in the movie. Are you a hobo? I like to wrap myself up like a little homeless lady. And I'm like, why do they keep talking about homelessness? So, so I think, um, actually, interestingly enough, when I was in film school, um, I had, uh, there was a list of films that to choose from to address different, like, social situations. Um, and one of them was Racket Ralph under, um, uh, 
the class system. And I chose that. Mm. Um, I'm not going to lie, because they wanted me to write this long paper, and I'm like, I can only get so much out of Wreck-It Ralph. So I kind of <laughs> made stuff up that probably, like, I picked something apart stuff, like, that probably wasn't there. And even they said, it's like, this feels like you're stretching, but we'll go with it. And then <laughs> I, I got an A out of the class, so it's like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> Do what you can to get a good grade. But um, it, I feel like there is something to be said about the like uh the class system in this movie like there is something there um <laughs> it, the fact that look at where Re- uh, Ralph lives like he's like it's fine it's I, I'm I'm comfortable with it but <laughs> old video games being the the uh, metaphor for the collapsing coal industry <laughs> yeah it's just there, there there is a I mean. again, I think there is also something to be said about, like, oh, there is a stereotype with someone with, like, a blue-collar job. Like, if you have a, like, a um, like, a minimum wage job or something, you're kind of seen as lower. Or, and it's, that's kind of how Ralph is viewed as. It's like, well, this is your job, therefore, that's who you are. And I think that's another thing. Your job doesn't define you yeah people are yeah. saying that your role that you're destined with defines you and that's hence the bad guy thing but that's just you know even though you're a bad guy doesn't mean you're a bad guy <laughs> that's just what you're it's what you're programmed to do so i mean that said would it be good to find to talk about our our protagonist uh wreck it ralph. ralph john c Riley does a great job i very well cast for this film yeah absolutely yeah. um I think, uh, I, I think like, he's likable. He's very, uh, I think what makes him work is John C. Riley's acting. Yeah. He, like he, he really embodies that character. Yeah. Makes him feel down to earth. At, at least with his voice. It makes all, him- all he wants is to just be appreciated for the hard work he does when the game hits his third, what was it? 30th anniversary? 30th. Yeah. 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 I think it's funny. His language is so. It, it, it's it's like that blue collar New Yorker swearing, yeah. you know, at the construction <laughs> gig, but all of the language is made child friendly. So things he says sound like they would be swearing mm-hmm. or inappropriate, but they're changed just enough. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I actually. Um- Calhoun does the same thing. The one thing that stuck out <laughs> with me is when she when she refers when yeah. she refers to her um her the fellow soldiers as as pussy willows. Yeah, I was like yeah. the kitten cuddles in now or something. She yeah, has I was like I was like that's really good. It's like borderline, but it's like no, but you, you go you know you get what they're aiming for. But they they PG it and it's like that's that's hilarious. Actually, like the writing is so clever. Jane Lynch, per, another perfect casting choice. Oh yeah, yeah. so. Fun fact, Rich Moore said originally this character was supposed to be male, but then we uh, watched Jane Lynch's performance and knew we had to cast her for this role. When we told her, oh, this character was going to be male, she's like, surprisingly, I get a lot of roles where the character was originally going to be male. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have the idea. There's this, I mean, it happens much later in the film when, uh, you know, Fix-It Felix and and, uh, Calhoun meet. But it's such a, a, a dom relationship. <laughs> when when she snaps her fingers and says, like, to get on the, the, the hoverboard, I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> Something's going that's, on that's, there. That's yes, the way she ma'am. likes it. Yeah, yeah, yes, ma'am. Like, oh. 
I'm just so cross with you. <laughs> I love I love Felix too. He's yeah. great. He he strikes me especially early on to he does care about Racket Ralph, but he almost is afraid to go beyond his bounds because he knows it could cause some problems for him. So there's moments early on where he acts out of selfishness of keeping kind of his like mm-hmm. like God, I get all these medals and I get cake and all this stuff yeah. and I kind of don't want to mess that up. But Felix means well and that's a thing yeah. but I think it takes him a bit to really get just how, like I love the point when later on they, they meet up again he's like, you know, he's talking about how angry he is like, and he's talking about everything he's been through to try and get to Ralph. He's like, do you know how that is? And Ralph's like, yeah, every day. Yeah. And then it, like yeah. that's when it hits Felix like what's actually going on here with Ralph. And he can finally put himself in Ralph's shoes. But the interesting part, there's a couple moments where he calls Ralph his brother. Like, clearly there is a friendship there because they've worked together for so long. But I feel like you're right. I feel like he is kind of caught up in his own world. And I mean, he's getting praised all the time. And that does get you right. And then also he has his own sort of expectation of, um, of like I gotta always, live up to this. Yeah, yeah, I have to be good. And like, there's a point where the nice owner's like, oh, "It's Ralph." Oh no! And he's like, you could tell he's like, "Oh, I'll, I'll go talk to him." Like he feels he has to basically make everything right. He has yeah. to fix he it. He has to fix well, it. He has to fix you know, it. It's his Cal- Calhoun kind of threw it off because it went more into the romance with him and her. But at first, I thought his whole plot was going to be that. He was just going to have this baggage of, I have to fix something. I have to mm-hmm. fix something. And there'd be a point where he had to, like, let that go. Yeah. And they don't really have that moment. No, they don't. No, that's true. Although, like I said, it is nice when he finally acknowledges. And and one time he really does need to fix something. In this case, Vanellope's car. Yeah. That, and the, uh, the truth is, it isn't really his movie no so no, that's not. probably the reason they didn't really focus no on that. this is I mean, it would have been a neat b plot though to have him be a lot more neurotic about yeah. fixing things especially yeah. as things go wrong i mean it is he is kind of the one response he's the one who feels he's responsible and has to go and find ralph yeah and that, that's and that's this whole thing that's in. its own problem is feeling like oh i have to be the one to fix everything mm-hmm. yeah and, and, and that could be like a psychological problem and you can kind of see it in there a little bit it's just yeah. not as explored and like you said they really kind of delve more into this fun and goofy relationship that forms between him and Calhoun, which is funny. It is also, um, I love, (laughs) there is a great contrast, like him being so short, her being so tall. Plus, um, I, David and I noticed this and there is kind of humor to it. She is made to look very curvy. Like she's actually, I'm like, she's much skinnier than I really, and I'm like, oh, because she's a video game character and she's a female video she's, game character. She was she was programmed that way. Yeah, in a game that is dripping with machismo. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny that she's she a, has that backstory. Yes, where she loses her husband, but they all know it's a backstory. Yeah, yet they react. Like they don't know. It's like she was programmed with the most sad. And it's like, doesn't she know she's programmed with it? Can't she just let it go? But it's like, no, that's what she's got to like. (laughs) You're one dynamite gal. (laughs) But I mean, that's part of their. uh, I mean, that's even though they know this is what they were programmed to do. It's still a part of them. That's why they are the way they are. I mean, she knows it was probably programmed as a backstory this isn't like yeah. something doesn't make it happens. any less real no because like, sure, when your sure. whole life is just programming 
Yeah, I guess this I guess isn't that's like a, true. It's a real memory. To yeah, that. this isn't like a this isn't quite a Matrix situation where like Although it's this very isn't close real. to the Matrix. It, yeah, there are it parts is, of it that are a lot alike. Well, the, here's the thing. You know, if you want to argue this uh, in a weird way, Turbo and Vanellope, you could argue either of them are like the Neo in a weird way mm-hmm. because well, but mostly Turbo because he starts to realize how he can start to manipulate games and change oh, things. Yeah. Or should That's I say totally true. King Candy? I know Gene is all, is also the villain, but uh, this is, I, I know we, we haven't really talked about Vanellope yet, but I do uh, want to I want to talk about King Candy because <laughs> yeah. he yeah. is so. I, oh, I love King Candy. So I will say um, this is the first appearance of Alan Tudyk in a Disney animated film, and I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, this is his first appearance, and then after that, he's in every single Disney animated film. He and becomes totally unrecognizable in everyone. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he becomes the John Ratzenberger of uh, Disney animation. Basically, their good luck charm. Uh, Except you never know it's him, unlike John Yeah, you can tell. Where you're like, oh, it's John again. I mean, I can't wait till we get to eventually get to Moana. And we're, I, the best, <laughs> let's be honest, the best part about that is Alan Tudyk just making chicken noises or rooster noises. It's a myth. I went to Juilliard. Yes, this man went to Juilliard and <laughs> just a myth. Okay. Anyway, all right. So, so, but him as King Candy, he does a. It is a great impression. Just, just, just uh, channeling that Edwin mm-hmm. Mad Hatter uh, uh, energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. What's uh? So, I love that he's like he is kind of a mirror of Ralph in a weird way because he was he was he didn't want to accept his lot in life either when his Definitely game was being forgotten. The darker side of that choice. Yeah. yeah. What happens if you are completely selfish? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You 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 become everything. You become you become the part. You becomes your name becomes mythical to, in a bad way because now everyone says don't go turbo. You're 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 a bad example. The funny part is he even uses it too. Like yeah. he even yeah. says, "Ralph, you're not gonna go turbo, are you?" I'm like, "What? You're uh, referring uh, uh, to yourself?" But you're- it's not like he's gonna reveal that he's turbo at that. No, point, but- no. But can, it's- can I just say I think that the best twist in any Disney animated film is in this. Yeah. When I first saw it, I did not see it coming. I mean, you can say what you want about, you know, Frozen and Anna's, you know, relationship. But that, I don't think that paid off nearly as well as the Turbo one did. The Turbo one, that is the, the reveal is the most action-packed and horrifying. Horrifying. Like, they're like, because there's that moment where like, they're like, Vanellope's like driving backwards. He's on top and he keeps, he, she, as she glitches out, He's glitching out, and you're seeing him swim, and you're like, oh, my God. And he's, like, screaming at her, and it's just like, this is, and it's so tense. And you're just, your jaw's dropped as you're realizing, oh, he's turbo. Oh, my, ah. And you're just like, she better not die. It's better than an M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. You know, it's, it is that kind of twist. It does make sense that he would pick a racing game to live in, too, because yeah. that's all he knows how it to do. It all makes sense. It's yeah. really well plotted. And, and actually, on that same sense, this is also a bit I really like, because this is how well-crafted this movie is. The Cybugs. So they introduce the Cybugs in Hero's Duty and how they work, with the whole thing with the beacon that draws them in so they don't overpower. They become what they eat. That gets established early. So, you know, once... A cybug infestation gets into, courtesy of, unfortunately, a courtesy of Ralph on accident. 
Um, once the cyborg infestation gets into sugar rush, they start becoming these, you know, candy bugs. But then the fact that one eats turbo and therefore the cyborg and turbo fuse into one thing. And- the most horrifying <laughs> monster ever. Jeez. It's pretty, it's pretty messed up. The whole fourth act of this movie is played out almost exactly like the aliens fourth act. <laughs> yeah. I realized that when I was watching it, all the timing of all the reveals. There's just it builds up so well because then we also have that thing with the Mentos falling into the Diet Coke volcano mm-hmm. and, and he uses his destructive ability Wreck It Ralph yeah. destroying it has is the thing that saves yeah and also the thing that kills and and the thing is we've established if you die outside your game you die forever so once Turbo goes in is drawn into it like the other cybugs is now he is a cybug and has those things he's gone he's yeah, poof yeah. no Turbo ever again yeah. that's it ah it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. We do, we now, do like this movie. Yeah, can I? Can, I'm going to talk about the bad. Um, Vanellope. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. No, hold okay, on. Hold, hold on. on. And actually, let me let me explain. I do like Vanellope. I actually think, for the most part, I do like her character, and I do like her relationship with Ralph. Yeah. There's parts though. I'm just like, do we really need this humor? Like the this, poop, the this, poop jokes. This, yeah, this toilet humor. And I get it. She's supposed to be seen as kind of an annoying little kid. But it's just like there's other parts where she's annoying, but it, it's it's like a fun annoying. And so there's there's annoying annoying, and then there's fun annoying. One example of fun annoying um, in a, in another uh, animated medium is Over the Garden Wall. Greg in that movie is uh, can be annoying, but it's entertaining and fun, and you're laughing at it. I think there's a lot of moments with Vanellope where she's annoying it. That and it's like and I just grow up like uh roll my eyes like do we really need this humor? I I I can understand where you're coming from. I I think her being kind of a potty mouth and being annoying is almost an act of rebellion to the sweet world she's in. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> like, true. It's like she's always trying to be kind of a little ass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just yeah. because it's like a, a way of her kind of giving the finger to the. <laughs> well, to society she lives in. That's true because also like it's funny because like everybody seems sweet on the surface but it's you know like you got Taffeta who's kind of a tertiary like you know rival antagonist who doesn't really do that much. She's just there to be like um <laughs> you're a glitch and you can't race which is very you know like. Well they're the equivalent of the the happy landers or, yeah. or whatever. The, the nice yeah. landers. The nice landers. Yeah because yeah. yeah, Ralph needs to see some uh, kinship in her. That's and status that's quo. Yeah, and they're also never going to be friends, which is a key part of the plot, is their friendship. I know we're talking about kind of, you know, Vanellope being a little bit annoying. And, uh, you know, I, I could see how it's it's pretty often. Like, there's definitely a lot of that. And I think a lot of it also comes from, you know, the actress doing the voice, kind of pushing that, that it's behavior. It's a, a Sarah, Sarah Silverman, which yeah. is... Sarah Silverman did a good job at this role. Like, for what yeah. this character is, she's a good casting choice. For yeah, this. I agree. But she's also... I th- this this is me kind of justifying why they made her that annoying and kind mm-hmm. of kind of obnoxious is I think in a way she's like the villain and she has to kind of act like a villain uh, maybe to relate a little bit more to to uh, Wreck It Ralph yeah so it's like yeah. look she's a problem he's a problem that mm-hmm. makes sense in the and end yeah, they that, find out and it's know, true because everybody not, everybody but. sees her as a problem especially and King Candy wants them to see her as a problem. She reminds me of uh, Ash from Evil Dead 
uh, mm. in the third uh, Evil Dead film, where she's been kicked around enough that she's just kind of like, get out of my face with that. Yeah. <laughs> with, with everybody. I'm yeah. like, yeah, 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 sure. You would understand. It's That's like, why she lives in the volcano like a little homeless lady. <laughs> yeah, um, one of the weirdest lines. There is one other thing I did not like in this film. Um, so, for the most part, I think the music choice is really good. Um, so... We uh, the, we have the theme song, uh, Sugar Rush, which I, I actually had to look up. Um, it is by a popular a Japanese idol band called uh, AKB48. And uh, the bug hunt music for um, Hero's Duty is by Skrillex. Yeah. Which is a <laughs> good choice. One. And then he makes a little animated cameo. Oh, that's right. He's at the... Um, <laughs> he's mixing at the He's party. at the party. Which I, I, by the way, I'd forgotten to mention. There's, you see a few characters there, and the one time they they mentioned Mario, he's like, "Oh, that's probably Mario." Fashionably as late as always, because like so Pac Man is there, yeah. Sonic is there, yeah. Um, but they use "Shut Up and Drive" by Rihanna for like the montage of um, Vanellope learning drive, and it just feels. This is the one part where I'm like, this kind of dates it because it's just a, it's a random pop song that's not even written for the movie it's just it, it's a pop song and it just feels out of place i feel yeah. like they could have you if they're gonna do a montage maybe like an like an original maybe instrumental rock song or something i don't know i it's it just feels i get it it's a song about driving yeah she's learning how to drive it's just uh it's weird because I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that song from. 2000, <laughs> from 2000. Maybe it, maybe it didn't affect me that way because the only place I ever heard the song was in the movie. Oh so yeah, so I kind of oh, link it to the movie more than like, like oh, the I, outside I, thing. I had heard it on the radio plenty of times before I saw this movie. Oh, you know, yeah, and they actually used it quite a bit for like um on so whenever there were like uh, TV original movies about this person's a driver, they would use her. Shut, Shut up, up and drive. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say, if we're on the top topic of music, though, when can I see you again? That is a great That's song. A good song. Well, I, I, it's, it's funny because I heard the soundtrack over and over again, pretty much on a loop, because that was right around the time I started working for Disneyland. Uh, I was working at the. Uh, uh, the World of Disney, the giant Disney store they had, mm-hmm. and we would have our, you know pile of cds that were all disney you know oh what's the newest movie and we'd put that soundtrack on yeah so i was always hearing that music so uh, it was a positive time in my life so yeah. i kind of have good feelings when i hear yeah. the soundtrack i'm with you and i got all that coming back when i rewatched it i'm like oh yeah i remember all this i was folding shirts when i heard <laughs> yeah. um, the only other pop song that's in here is celebration but celebration is so ingrained in American history, that it's just like you hear it all the time for parties and stuff like that. It's like, oh yeah, of course you would hear it at a party. So it doesn't. Yeah, that that's did, a good one. That doesn't bother me as much as "Shut Up and Drive" because again, yeah. it feels so. That's that is fair. It is. <laughs> it's just one part. I'm not saying like rest of music, great choice, great whatever. I just think they could have just replaced it with something else. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard, but just yeah, don't know why they chose it. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and uh, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, the, uh, don't get like the this movie's great. I love this movie, it's, and I'm just picking. I'm just being picky now. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's, that's kind of the point. That's a good sign, though, if you have to kind of reach for things that are 
to be picky about. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I, I definitely agree with you on some a lot of those points. But I think what's important is, and I want to I want to address this real quick. This movie has the best use I've ever seen in an animated movie of a liar revealed slash misunderstanding trope, yes. which is normally Awful. the worst part. <laughs> the worst part of an animated movie here. It's used not only, I think, perfectly and realistically, because it, when, even when Ralph is revealed and he's trying to explain himself, she won't listen to him. Mm-hmm. And then he has to go to extremes to do that. And the scene where he destroys her car is genuinely heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, it hurts, like, hearing Vanellope, like, But it also panic. makes sense. It doesn't feel contrived. No, yeah. it doesn't. That's the, that's the thing. That's, again, this... Because mm. he is told that, like... <laughs> Chef kiss. As a, as a, and she, he even tells her, like, as a, if you glitch, this could lead to you, like, going away. And he actually does that, and she's like, I don't care. And... Yeah. But in his mind, he's like, but I do. I care about yeah. you. So... Everything gets explained, but it's just there's the motions are so high. Yeah, and that's real. That's very realistic. I like I like this a lot, and it it's it, even watching the second time. Like I knew it was coming, and I was like, oh no! But then I remember then watching the second time. Like wait, no, this is handled so well. I, the it's handled so well in terms of this from a storytelling perspective, and it still hurts, especially after you know before that when she comes out and gives him the little cookie medal, and it's like ah! and, and King Candy giving him the speech. Of doing what's right for her and why he's doing it is so convincing. Yeah. You completely don't see his betrayal coming. No, you because don't. Because you're like, oh, maybe this guy has a point. Everything he's saying makes some kind of sense. Yeah, he's if King King, King Candy, if there's one thing he's good at, it's 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 it is be putting on a facade. And he's good at that. And Sugar-flavored Emperor Palpatine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, for the most part, what he's seen is just strike me down, and I'll become more powerful than you'll probably imagine. <laughs> uh, what he's saying is true, though. Like, if if she continues to glitch and they close the game, she would be trapped there. And she even said that she's not allowed to leave her game. So the 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 buildup does make sense. What he's saying isn't a lie, but. If she could leave the game, it'd be one thing, because, like, Cubert and the other critters uh, were able to leave the game, and they're just More basically homeless. homeless. Yeah, exactly. More homeless yeah. characters. referred to. But, you know, what's nice is at the end, but 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 you're you're right, like, she can't. She physically can't, because she's a glitch. But weird, I think, or, well, think, she's not. Well, she, a, well, she's a glitch then, but is it, do you, do you all think it's weird that she's able to keep her glitch powers even after she's restored to well, being a full game character? That was the only thing that uh, I felt a little uh, was funny. Well, the yeah. funny part is, she does explain that. She said that's part, uh, she, her ability is to be able to, like, teleport, basically. Her glitching was actually a part of her superpower as a driver. Oh, and so that was programmed in. Yes. And then it got, when he disconnected her, basically it became, he t- twisted into, no, it's a glitch. Okay. She her, is a glitch. I didn't realize it, it, that. It, can't, it, it, looks, it looks glitchy, and, she, and there, she definitely does glitch out a little bit. So and, it's almost like it's a glitched version of her power. And probably she did, like, lose control of it after he basically messed with their programming. You know, you can get abused like that. I'm sure it, it probably made the problem worse. Oh, absolutely. You know? True, true. So one, one thing that I thought was interesting uh, when... Uh, uh, Ralph arrives in the you know sugar rush is uh, he's not a good guy at that point. No. We we, we yeah. sympathize with his his issue, but he's totally 
for himself. Right. Oh, I got to get that medal. That's and what I'm going to get. And he so I can stick it, it to Gene. Stick it to Gene. Yeah, he, he's completely. <laughs> and like I said, his little 8-bit martini. Uh, <laughs> although, so knock that, it over. Although that whole thing where Gene was like, I hope you're proud of yourself, Ralph. I'm like, oh, shut up, yeah, Gene. Yeah, like you have a place to talk. You have no tough decisions to make. Oh, good one, Gene. <laughs> and even when he's like, I just wanted to be up here with all you. He's like, with a bit of penals. I just wanted to be, you know, he basically should have said, I just want to be respected. Yeah. And he's, and he's then, like, well, it, he, now it's can't. all. Well, now you're well here. You, I hope you're happy, Ralph. Here you go. Yeah, no, Gene was a problem. He no, really absolutely Gene. was. <laughs> but when when uh, uh, Ralph gets to Sugar Rush, he is you know looking for the medal he lost, and when he meets Vanellope, she is also a villain. Both of them are so selfish yes. and looking for their own thing, and a lot of the movie is spent with them being very much okay. I'm going to help you, but only if I get what I need. Yeah, only it's to get only my own ends. Kind of near the the. Final third of the film when they actually are like, "Hey, I like you." There's, yeah. There's more than just me getting my mm-hmm. thing, and uh, kind of realizing, you know, even though they play, uh, you know, he plays a villain, he doesn't have to be that. I, they I, both they both do very selfless things for each other in toward the, end, the yeah. end. Yeah. I think the also another way to think about it is the fact that it's all based on once she wants to race that's this is something she's wanted more than anything and she'll do anything to get it and it's for it's the same for him he wants to be respected and seen as a hero and he will do anything to get it um so basically they're just going after their goals they don't know each other well enough uh to uh, at that point to basically be like oh i'll help you and all that no their focus is i need to get what i want and and up till the, you know, past the halfway point, they are viciously against each other. Yes. <laughs> you know, he's chasing her down and he falls in the thing. She's dropping him in there. She's completely callous to his problem. Yeah. Oh, screw you. I'm going to go do this. Oh, you <laughs> fell in that pile of candy. You know, who cares? She only cares about it when he's chasing her down. Yeah. And uh, let's, can we talk about Sugar Rush? Yeah. yeah. Just, just that world. Yeah. Well, I mean. Well, we spend mo- a good chunk of the time in that world. It's Most of the movie takes place in the Sugar Rush world. There's something so weird about the environmental aspect of that place. Because you could easily go, there's gumdrops and there's clouds that are made out of, uh, you know, cotton candy. But they have a physical like a visceral aspect to all this sugary stuff. Like when he flies through in that jet, there's, you know, pieces of cotton candy that are getting caught in the engines. Yeah. And like damaging it. You can see like the sugar particles. Uh So it's got this almost real world nature of taking things that are candy and turning them into dust or dirt or snow or swamplands. Yeah. And making it feel like, this is dangerous. Yeah. Like, in, in, this may be sweet and candy, but this sugar, you know, if you breathe it in, this <laughs> it's going to kill you. I mean, this world is, is sticky beyond belief if you look at it. But it's like, it's you're right. It's fascinating. And, you, and it lends itself so well to a racing game because, like, it feels like Mario. Like, again, Mario Kart being the inspiration. You've got, like... The place where they're going past the jawbreakers that are, or the gumballs that are rolling out of the gumball machines, like and boulders. And it feels deadly. It does. And as you talk about candy, I'm like, 
<laughs> I, I go into our candy pool and I'm like, okay, I need a key. I, I, I stole an airhead. That's fine. There's, um, I mean, I, you know what? Uh, and I want to say, just adding to the dangerousness of the environment, uh, shout out to Candlehead for having the best name, but also the one person <laughs> who oh, creates an environmental hazard with her own head. My favorite joke, because I'm a fan of, like, I think it's kind of a problem, but when I was doing UCB classes, doing improv, they said, be careful how many times you go to crazy town. <laughs> and it's probably my favorite joke where someone starts with something normal. They're explaining, oh, it's a situation. I, you know, I went and got gas from my car and then I, you know, went off down the road and I found a diaper walking down the street. <laughs> And my favorite thing is when it goes to crazy town, but you got to like do it slowly. Yeah. And the perfect going to crazy town in this movie is them listing the names of the racers because it's like, you know, happy strawberry time. <laughs> and, and, you know, but, but and as he says the names, they just get more and more nonsensical. Yeah, exactly. Francis Flubber Butter, <laughs> Goopy Slurper Bottom, and then the last one's in Candlehead. <laughs> and and I, don't forget Candlehead. <laughs> so funny because it's, I don't know, that's like my favorite kind of joke. Yeah, no, it's like, it's great because you wonder like, why is there just this character named Candlehead? And of course later, light him up, Candlehead. <laughs> and then there's actually payoff to Candlehead. What the heck? Yeah. yeah. Um, I also, and, I, another thing about Sugar Rush, similar to like the video game world, this is like, they use a lot of real life candies and chocolates to make this world feel realistic. So they're like, oh yeah, I know that candy and I know that candy and I know that. Just the fact that they have the 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 toll bridge yes. or the toll gate run by Papa. Yes. Uh, uh, what is his name? Is it Papa something, so, right? No, no, I actually wrote it down. Oh, no, because I remember. Beer this. Papa. Beer yeah. Papa. Beer Papa, which is, is actually a, a cream a... puff place in Japan. Originally. Yeah, which is which makes sense because it's a Japanese video game. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought that was so funny because me and my, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time, we were looking around Hollywood and they had a Beer Papa shop. Oh. And we were like, what a weird <laughs> reference to have. <laughs> and, he, and he even says his name, picks up the phone, Beer Papa here. That's right. Like just in case you you know want to know who this guy is. Well, yeah, it's important because like for us, it was funny because we we I didn't know about Beard Pop until we were at an Asian supermarket in Portland. I'm like, wait a minute, (laughs) and that was just before we watched the movie. So for some reason, I saw Beard Pop. I'm like, okay, and then watched the movie. Wait, is is that Beard Papa? All the 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 working class of of uh, Sugar Rush are really funny. We got those donut cops. Yeah. Oh yeah, the two like bumbling henchmen voiced by. it's a Darn Adam Carolla. Adam Carolla, yeah. And Horatio Sanz. Oh, from SNL. And uh, then, that's so great. And then, of course, Rich Moore is, is a uh, Sour Bill, the Sour Bill. Oh, which is one of the, probably one of the most weirdly creepy interrogation scenes. Oh, when he gets to Where lick him? When he's licking him? <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many licks it'll take to get to the center. <laughs> get me out of your filthy mouth. <laughs> I was like, I don't even want to repeat that line. It sounds oh, so bad. He sounds like someone, like, the, his, the way his voice is, he almost sounds like someone out of the Neverhood. I don't know if you've heard of this, no, no. this video game. <laughs> it's a claymation video game. I was almost getting that vibe from it. I'll Remind me to I'll, I can show you later. Okay, yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> it's like an adventure game, but all done in clay. Like, it was claymation. It's a claymation video game. 
Swizzle Malarkey. That's Swizzle another Swizzle Malarkey. Uh, everybody, that's everybody. right. <laughs> the names of these are. I love it so much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they all look like little kids that would have cute names, but they have these just horribly bizarre titles. <laughs> oh man. Um. Yeah, Rancis Flugger Butter. <laughs> Rancis? Rancis. So it's, it's not even Francis, it's Rancis. Jubilina Bing Bing. <laughs> <laughs> These sound like they're also making fun of the racers' names from the pod race in episode <laughs> one, Phantom Menace. They're like... <laughs> Neva Key, Mars Guo. Ben Quadraneros. That's right, Ben Of course, related to Ben, ben uh, Solo. <laughs> I'm not going through this. Everyone's favorite Crumbelina di Caramello. <laughs> That's one of the funniest things about the movie is those damn names of those racer kids. I love it. Oh, they had they put so much effort into Sugar Rush. So I'm glad we had a opportunity to kind of talk about the world itself because it's great. Man, this, this movie is fun. I love it. Mm-hmm. I, I did want to say one other thing since yeah. I men- mentioned uh, uh, Ben Solo. Uh I think this movie was like right around the time that they bought Lucasfilm because I noticed that they used the Darth Vader breathing when he's using the straw. Oh, that's right. They do. I'm like, is that the first thing that they used for their for their copyright? It's like, we bought Lucasfilm. We're going to use the Darth Vader breathing for this one. Also, uh, there are a couple of like fun little things that you would see. Like, uh, Dave and I actually paused it where they go into, um, uh, like, there's. Graffiti on the wall, and one of the graffiti words is "Aerith lives." <laughs> like, oh my god! What is what is that a reference? Uh, Final Fantasy. Oh, okay, okay. Because uh, spoilers for a game from 1997. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, ruined the, it. The character of Aerith is is killed unexpectedly by Sephiroth, and she never comes back. So the fact that there's a graffiti that says "Aerith lives" is there. Also, spoiled. how often the uh, Konami code comes up? Mm-hmm. Up, yeah, down, yeah. left, uh, right. B A B A start. Yeah, that's probably one of the most on-the-nose references since he actually has a, a, a Nintendo controller down there that he hits. That's one of the first um, clues that you get that um, this is a hack situation because why is there a Nintendo <laughs> controller in there and why does he need it in order to get into the heart of the game code? He, yeah. Clearly, he hacked it. He used the game controller to hack it. It's like a, it's a nice little hint of uh, the true nature of King Candy. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that. Very uh, uh, perfect kind of foreshadowing to what's going to happen. Uh-huh. Excuse you. <laughs> um, the fact that his um, his car horn plays Hail to the Chief when he comes in. Yeah. It's good. E- each game in the, the movie is so distinct, whether you're talking about the uh, Hero's Duty or the, uh, you know, Fix-It Felix and... Yeah, uh, they could have added more, but I think it would have. They had everything they needed. It they, would have been convoluted if they had. Yeah, the game. absolutely. I um and yeah, and it's great to and again going back to sort of the tertiary established characters that are on the side. Um, it's nice to hear these some of the you know the original voice actors for these characters get to the part. Roger Craig Smith as Sonic or Cal Abair as uh, Ryu. Um, like these are, I, I remember at the time reading like Kyle Aber going like, I can't believe this as a voice actor. This is always what I've wanted to have as a, a part in a Disney movie. And here it is. Aww. And it's like, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's, 
a ton more we can say at this point. We've I think we've covered our bases pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the nice thing about uh, Wreck It Ralph is it's never been done before mm-hmm. in this way. You know, yeah, you, ha- you have a story that is familiar, really relatable. Yeah, take something and. Gives you the magic of playing a video game because it's really hard. I mean, as we've known over the years, people have tried to make video game movies and they almost always fall short. Even the decent ones don't really capture a video game and the fun of staying up late and playing your favorite game and kind of losing yourself in the character. And this is one of the few movies that actually captures that feeling. Oh yeah, and 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 makes it really you know uh, enjoyable to people who even don't care for video games. Yeah, oh absolutely, it's it's accessible, which is the important thing. I also think this is probably one of the most original films in the Disney revival. Where if we had like Princess and the Frog and Tangle, very Disney princessy, and even what we'll be reviewing Frozen coming up here, and again Disney princessy. I think this is like. The first time we're like, oh, this is unique and different, but it's done well. It's not in like that dark period where there's like Bolt and Brother Bear and all that. Where it's clearly <laughs> different and from their typical formula, but it just doesn't hit the mark. Where this this works, this feel this, and this is basically. Um, a way to show, like, hey, you don't always have to follow the Disney formula just to um, have it be successful. All you need sometimes is a good story, which this film absolutely does have. And um, It's lightning in a bottle. It, it really does work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, uh, I mean, this is, uh, it doesn't have, like, a bunch of songs or anything like that. Like, this isn't a musical. As I mentioned, the songs that are chosen are just background songs um, or theme songs for the uh, for the arcade games like Sugar Rushes. The they have that like Japanese pop Sugar Rush song, um, and that's a theme for the Sugar Rush game and stuff like that. But it, nobody's like singing or anything like that. It, so it, it's probably one of the more unique films to come out of the Disney revival. And I think this is the unique film to say, oh, we can actually stray outside of the Disney formula. And I think this will eventually lead to like, hey, let's we could do Big Hero 6 and Zootopia. Absolutely agreed. I, th- I think it did get a little foreshadowed once Frozen came out. I think, I think people forgot about a lot of other movies because Frozen was almost too big. Mm-hmm. Good movie. I-, I enjoyed Frozen, but at the same time, it did dwarf a lot of the other movies that came out before it and after it. Mm-hmm. That said, that's what we're going to be tackling um, next time on this show. We're, yes. We're getting there. It'll be 2013 and Frozen will happen. And things will never be the same. <laughs> yeah, nope. But, Too um, much money in that cash cow. That's true. But I'm so glad we got to do this. And Sandy, thank you so much for joining us for this. Absolutely. I'm always around and uh, as much as I'm dreading it, I, maybe I'll be around for the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Should we drag you to the sequel? Yeah. The weird thing is, looking ahead, I realize uh, it, this uh, record, Ralph Breaks the Internet, comes right before Frozen 2. <laughs> 
So once again, seems fitting. They're following each other. This is crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that being said, uh, is there is there anything you'd like to plug while you're here? Or? Wow. I don't think so. I'll just move back to LA, getting everything sorted out. Maybe next time. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see where we're all at. But yeah, um, thank you. And uh, maybe we should. Uh, well, I think Litwax about to close the arcade, so get those quarters together. Yep, gotta gotta head back to the game. <laughs> <laughs> To all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. Nothing new is something new. That great poets imitate and improve. Where our small ones steal and spoil. Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Justin. And if it wasn't readily apparent at that, we're huge nerds about remakes. That's why we're doing the Nothing New Podcast. Once a month, we'll sit down and talk about a remake in detail and its original, covering them in whatever order they come out, from Wizard of Oz to It and beyond. They're remaking Stuart Gordon's 1986 sci-fi horror classic from beyond? Oh, no. Not yet. Oh, that's going to be a long time coming. Anyway, if that sounds up your alley, come join Justin and I, and maybe a guest or two, to explore the wonderful world of remakes, film by film. Remakes have been done forever. People talk, but Scarface don't even know that was a remake. Oh, nicely said. Don't thank me. Thank Antoine Fuqua. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.